They march and they're lost for the V Namarta at the own time shit and saw a studio um UCC no tree no octabunka tree FM Tal Fortis Viheroev River Radio na Publicta. Now, I'm delighted to be joined today here in the studio down by the Holborn UCC by Cork's very own Ty Kiki. Ty, you're very welcome. Hiya. Thanks for having me. No problem nice at all. Nice to finally meet you. Yes. <laughs> You've been bugging me for years. <laughs> I, have, I have indeed. Well, since you made your emergence onto the onto the Twitter stage, I have to say um, you've been entertaining all of us. So uh, so it's, it is nice to meet you. Um, you might tell me a little bit uh, to start off about um, where you're from and growing up in Cork and all that. Not a bother. Um, so I am from Cork. I, I always say Cork City. Um, if I'm trying to make myself seem more working class than I actually am, because that can be advantageous at times, I say <laughs> Barrack Street, right? right? But I'm kind of from College Road. But like, as you know, College Road is quite near to Barrack Street. Um, if I'm trying to be posh, then I'd say... I'd, I'd just probably say Rochestown, I'd say, which is nowhere, which is nowhere near it. No. But the reality, as I say, is McCurtainsvillis in uh, College Road, ordinary enough, working class-ish. Uh, no, it was, it was actually quite working class. Um, background. Um, yeah, I, lo- I loved Cork. I loved growing up in Cork. It was it was great. It was it was tough at times. It was tough and fair, and it was great. Um, there was no airs and graces in my family. There wasn't a big academic family or anything like that. I think I was the first one to go. My sister subsequently has gone to university as well, but I was the first one to go to university, so it was a bit of a big deal. But um, I was actually talking to a buddy about this recently. I also though had no pressure, right? So. A friend of mine, like, it was under massive academic pressure to do certain things and to study certain topics. Um, I had no pressure. Like, the, the family were like, geez, fair play to him, he's going to college. Like, you know, that that's great. Yep. And I felt absolute freedom to do whatever I wanted to do. So when I got to college, I did English and history and philosophy because I wanted to. And there was no, no one in my family was like, oh, you should do a proper course so you can get a job out of it. It's just like, fair play to you. Did a master's in drama. And um, I kind of thought in the masters that I wanted to be an academic possibly or maybe a journalist some sort of writer but I secretly wanted to be a performer I just didn't have the guts to do it and it actually took me I was in my early 30s when I started doing comedy Um, always wanted to do it always at least attempting to make people laugh that was my thing like in school Um, but I found it a gargantuan move to say I'm actually a comedian like and you should pay money to sit down and listen to me talk I found that a huge movement in my mind and it took me it took me that long to do it yeah and i suppose at least on social media today you're known for um the sketches you do a lot of them are you know on, on current affairs and politics and so on but i suppose outside of outside of that sphere um what what what, what do you do in terms of shows and all that to make people laugh as you said um i kind of tend to write about these days anyway i tend to write about stuff that i 
I know a bit, I suppose, and stuff that, that moves me. Like, So the things that I've ended up writing about are in terms of sketches. They're usually kind of political stuff. Um, I have a, a big graph for the North, as you know, so kind of any kind of North-South hypocrisy or whatever, I always find like there's, that's a very fertile area. In terms of my own live shows, like I've done, I'm touring a show at the moment now um, in Ireland and Britain over the next couple of months and it's I'm in recovery from alcoholism so that show is about my alcoholism I actually I actually sat down to write shows about other things and uh, I can't like I couldn't you know I just can't write about something that I'm not interested in and I don't know a little bit about I suppose and I know I feel I know a fair bit about alcoholism so that's why I wrote about that but um but yeah like I can you know like comedy comes in all shapes and sizes but for me it's the more interesting comedy like seems to reside in the darker um, areas or the more difficult areas like for instance addiction or politics uh, and to what extent does that part of your life um, influence not just your comedy but who you are today do you think it's shaped you and defined you as a person those those challenges that you've had to overcome and fight oh definitely like I mean the alcoholism thing is like one of them I mean I don't like to take on a label I don't think people should take on labels but I mean, it's hard to see where my life outside alcoholism and it kind of starts and the alcoholism ends, if you know what I mean. Like, it's kind of because I suppose this is the thing. And I was talking, actually talking to Blind Boy about it the other day, which is um, he was kind of making the point as well that like in terms of addiction or mental health, you just kind of get the the buzzwords and you just kind of get like the radio slot where you can kind of talk about it a bit. So, so for instance, in the case of, of alcoholism, I've had so many interviews with intelligent people um, that will kind of assume that I used to drink myself silly and then I stopped drinking and I was kind of grand after that. So like what date did, I, did you stop drinking can usually be mapped to when you started to live your life kind of thing. And of course the opposite is actually true because addiction is a mental illness like as as verified or whatever by the WHO. So um, alcoholism, I don't have massive understanding of other types of addiction but I understand alcoholism quite well I think and your problems only really begin when you stop drinking like you know because you're, you're left with yourself and you're left with like, the reasons why you would have drank in the first place and they can be very complicated and they can be very painful so um, that stuff then is all the kind of stuff of me that the creative aspect I suppose maybe helps to assuage some of that kind of stuff so it's it's definitely all connected I suppose like yeah yeah one thing you said recently and you know I, I thought it was a brilliant way of looking at it and it does seem to have struck a chord with a lot of people um, you released a video where you said that you weren't having a breakdown but you were having a breakthrough do, do you want to say what you, what you meant by that yeah um, nearly everything I say that's that's vaguely um, intelligent is just lifted from someone else so um, so Alain de Bouton um, is a philosopher that I admire a lot and he's just got a complete philosophy around mental illness that really it not only appeals to me but it just seems to make sense and I think a lot of people I talk to like share the same idea that you kind of get the the prevailing feeling in the, in the western world particularly is so and so is having a breakdown or so and so has depression or so and so has anxiety let's get them to the doctor get them on medication and get them back at work straight away because they're broken now and they need to be fixed so that we can get them back being useful and without getting into a kind of a some sort of diatribe about the kind of neoliberal kind of thing like but there is the, the, the definite em emphasis on let's get them back to work like yeah. um, but Alain de Bouton's outlook on it like just kind of completely it's a Copernican revolution and how he looks at it I think and it's like what's going on before the breakdown 
is the that's the sickness the breakdown is the body's telling itself okay we need to look at this right now um, and that's always been the way for me like anytime I've ever now I use the term breakdown loosely as well after I put out the video I was like overall I'm happy that I've done it because I got a lot of good feedback on it and a lot of people I, as I was saying to you before we kicked off here the amount of people that got on to me like when I put that out it was actually it, it was heartwarming because I felt connected to other human beings and I didn't feel like I was alone which is great for me but it was also kind of like it's staggering the amount of people that said like I'm in, I'm going through a version of that right now and people from all walks of life all ages all backgrounds I think COVID particularly like you know I, I felt like I was breezing through COVID and uh, by, the, got, by the time I got to the end of it I really realised that I hadn't but anyway to go back to what I'm saying because I'm kind of rambling now um, yeah he just looks at the whole thing like the, the, the sickness is before you break down when you break down you're trying to fix yourself and it's a kind of a quest for health and then you should really take that time maybe medication can play a part in it but that's not the only part like you need to look at what's going wrong like are you spending enough time with friends are you meditating are you self is self-care going on and then instead of fixing yourself it's kind of like you're breaking through so you're like going into a next stage in your life where you've learned the lessons from what has gone on leading up to that um, and that's always been the way for me I mean like when I stopped drinking hopefully for good in 2015 I had a breakdown of sorts um, in the build up to that and that breakdown alerted me to the fact that if I kept drinking and taking drugs I was going to die so I can't but think that that's a very helpful productive thing with massive utility as opposed to some aberration that needs to be fixed with medication so that you can get back to work and be a you know productive member of society making money for someone else yeah we we often have these discussions um, in Ogre the connection between mental health and there's undoubtedly a mental health crisis in society as a whole and then the the economic system that we have the political system that we mm. have you know it both contributes to creating the problem in terms of the rat race and all of that um, but also as you said um, and that's an interesting way of looking at it that it's it's trying to get you back into society not because you're a valuable person and you need help but um, so so you can contribute and uh, so absolutely. on to society and you can even feel that in the self-employed world like because when I was feeling poorly there recently around the time that I started feeling a bit off I was like okay this is weird now because you meditate twice a day and you go to meetings and you kind of like you're grand like you kind of sorted yourself out but th there was a bit of a panic as well because like in the self-employed world you're not protected at all there are no protections like I don't have say in theatre like on the continent people the governments of the, of those countries they value the arts so much that those people are employed X amount of the year like that they are actors like and so whether there's shows on or not well, the show's provided for many, like, throughout the year, but I suppose the point I'm making in Ireland is, like, you're just kind of left to your own devices, basically. And there's a few people rise to the top, and there's a few people, like, just can't make a go of it at all. And then there's everyone else in the middle, basically. Um, but the panic when I started feeling unwell was, oh, no, like, like because I need to provide here, like, and I need to provide for my family. And that this is, like, comedy and doing things is my only outlet of making money. And I'm not a doctor on the side. Like, I can't kind of fall back on medicine. So there is no support network, really, unless it gets quite extreme and then you're out on disability. And then, actually, Ireland is kind of, like, quite decent, I think, in, in those types of supports. But for the self-employed, not so much. And again, if you're just regularly, if you're in a proper job, from from what I hear from people... It's really like, yeah, sorry to hear that you're not feeling well, but like you kind of need to get back to work, like, you know, so. But that's, I mean, that's that's capitalism, that's neoliberalism. I don't think that's Ireland. Um, 
so the comedy if I'm understanding it right is kind of an outlet for yourself and it helps you um, you know get through some of those challenges but you would also say would you, do you feel kind of do you feel happy and do you feel consoled that the work you do whether it be through the comedy or whether it through, be through you know that video that you released recently is also helping others absolutely and I don't want to I'm conscious of putting myself out there as a kind of a sad clown now at the moment because like I have to say generally I feel I feel good and that's the work that I've done in alcoholism and that's we might kind of touch on that or whatever but um, I've done a good bit of work on myself and also other people have helped me out and also I have I have faith in 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 a power greater than myself I might just put it that way like um, in a spiritual solution to kind of mental health stuff I think as well is, is a big part of it for me so a lot of the time I actually feel grand and it's probably important to say that because I'm kind of coming across like really quite damaged today but um, but, <laughs> but, um, but no uh, so a lot of the time like I just I mean I could just, I could just laugh at someone falling over as well it doesn't always have to I just think the more rich uh, comedy for me anyway is in these kind of darker areas but to answer your question directly as opposed to just going on another tangent um, I love it like I absolutely love it and I'm not just saying it to make myself sound like a nice guy it is literally the best part about doing what we do that you could get a message from somebody saying do you know what it might not even have to be an extreme problem it might be just like do you know I was having a really shit day and oh, are we lo- we're not allowed to curse are we yeah, um, alright okay alright and another thing um, but that a sketch that I put out, you know, like helped them in their day. And then then you get particular ones, I suppose, where, you know, like I was pottering around West Belfast the last time I was up and you'd get the odd person would come up to you and say, you know, fair play to you for doing that sketch or that sketch. Um, because like people just need to, to understand that stuff or whatever. So the way I always think about it with my sketches as well is that like I have read a book or two um I'm fond of Wikipedia and I'll read and I'll watch a few YouTube videos. I'm not putting myself out there as an expert at all. But the research that I do, if I can translate some of that into a sketch that then alerts somebody to the actual experts on it, like then I think it's job done for me. Like I feel that I'm a, an instrumental good rather than an intrinsic good. <laughs> you also have a very interesting taste of music. <laughs> um, there's some of the suggestions you have here. Like, geez, we'll be playing the Wolf Tones now later on, and I take that any day. But uh, this one here, Kraftwerk, Computer Love. Do you want to talk a little bit about that before I play it? Well, I, I love Kraftwerk. I'd say I'd say two things on the musical choices. Um, one, I don't know if you heard Owen O'Brien's Culture Club at Matt Cooper there yes, recently. Yes, I did. Yeah, so that was, a, that was a game changer in the industry, I think. As soon as I heard that, I quickly went out and bought these obscure albums. I know, um, I've always been interested in kind of electronic stuff, I suppose, well, since I was younger and... I was in the kind of uh, the partying scene in Cork, I suppose. But um, it's one of the things that I maintained an interest in even after I stopped being uh, a so-called party boy or whatever. But Kraftwerk, yeah, I mean, well, Kraftwerk are kind of like the the top dogs of that whole scene. And um, point of information, I actually said this in Culture Club the other night, but look, I'll say it again. You know what I mean? Like, we're looking for material here. Like, um, I saw Kraftwerk the night that England got knocked out of the World Cup by Croatia in uh, the marquee which was incredible because like I had one eye on the phone one eye on the stage favourite band I would say of all or act of all time and Modric doing us proud like what a moment <laughs> well, this is going to be a learning experience now for myself so here's um, Computer Love by Kraftwerk
Even though the British were goodly and civilised us, the good IRA eventually decided we were ready to rule ourselves and won our freedom. Yay! But Ireland isn't totally free though, is it that? Ah, the good parts are. Dublin! (laughs) And the vast majority of the Colchie counties. What about the north? Well, up north, where everyone sounds like they're always giving out about something, which let's be honest, they usually are. (laughs) The bad IRA. Boo! Tried to get the British to leave Northern Ireland, which was totally wrong and stupid, because Northern Ireland is and always was British. Are you sure? I think so. Although, being brutally honest, buddy, nobody down here really pays much attention to what's going on up there. You know, why would we? <laughs> like, full disclosure, I have no idea what they're saying half the time. You know, what about your protocol? <laughs> why is one IRA good and the other one bad? Because even though the British treated everyone in NI wonderfully and equally, the ungrateful Nordi IRA attacked them for no reason with their tanks and their bombs and their bombs and their guns. But how did the old IRA win our freedom? Custard pies and water balloons? I don't think... Ah, 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 that's enough free state fairy tales for one night, you little scamp. (laughs) If you're good, tomorrow night we're going to read The Black and Tans Were Actually Lovely by C. Flanagan. Night, night. Night, Dad. And then he takes up his copy of Jerry Adams's Before the Dawn to, real, to learn some real history. That was um, Free State Fairy Tales by Ty Kiki, who joins me today on Radio Public. Though, um, you're very interested in a united Ireland, aren't you? Yeah, that's. I'd say that's where my kind of interest in politics started. Really, yeah. that on that issue. Um, I suppose. Yeah, when I was, I don't know. You're, you're, what are you? Twenty. I'm 19. 19? Oh my God. Wow. I could be your dad. <laughs> you could. Have. Yeah. But I'm not though. I want to put that on record. Um, no, when I was a kid though, like, Southern politics was just tedious, like, and Northern politics was just more interesting. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that minimising it now or trivialising it, I should say. Um, but Northern politics was like, okay, there's, there's an awful lot more at stake here. Like, so I was definitely attracted to it at that level. I actually saw Jerry Adams as well on the, on the Late Late Show in 1994. Um, which, which was just a huge interest because I, I I think I was saying this to you before like it was interesting from a Republican point of view but I then became very aware that there's something going on here like that the southern media is depicting what's going on up there as this kind of bizarre war that's unconnected to anything going on in the south of Ireland or Britain it's like this weird kind of violent enclave and um, one thing we know for certain is that the IRA are kind of the orchestrating the whole lot of it. Like, so if they if they have a, an antagonist, we it doesn't really matter because they're just kind of like it's their fault basically. And that um, Jerry Adams is kind of like the pantomime villain for the whole thing. So that's what I went into the show kind of thinking. And as I say, I wasn't from a Republican background, so my family were like pretty kind of indifferent really to all that kind of stuff. And then over the course of that, I suppose his his performance for want of a better word on the late late I kind of learned um, what's going on up there 
who's involved that it's a lot more nuanced than we'd been getting down here and then I suppose that's that kicked off a kind of a lifelong interest on in what what news are we getting here and then what's going on up there really um, I'm not saying that everything that uh, Jerry Adams is telling us or everything that Danny Morrison is telling us or everything that Sinn Féin is telling us is the whole truth nothing but the truth etc etc and actually Danny often says this this is our perspective on it but I suppose what was missing was any mention of that perspective in the South um, so yeah so so that yeah it was a lifelong and I also just felt as well though as soon as I started looking into it I was like I can't believe that we don't make more here of the fact that we've just for a hundred close to a hundred years abandoned um the nationalist Catholic people of the North. I, I just, I, and to this day, I cannot get my head round how we're not weighed down more with that, that it doesn't rank as a kind of a Magdalene laundry or other shameful episodes in the South that we just abandoned these people. Like, I suppose the, the hard truth about it is it suits, partition suits the people who are in power here. It suits Fianna Fáil and it suits Fianna Gael mm. that they got their little state here. The unionists got their little state in the north that everyone's happy and everything, you know, continued um, as it was before partition. Um, not the great change that James Connolly and those had been hoping for. And that, you know, that's the whole point of, of Irish independence, being able to do things our own way. Um, so I suppose while, like this is just from my perspective, yeah. um, but while um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in government, they talk a lot about unity. Leo Varadkar has been saying lots about it in the last, well, since Brexit really. Um, but, but partition is in their interests. And But you know, like I'm fascinated to know in your social circle now say like because when I was when I was your age say there was no one if you were talking about unity you were you were a so-called rahead you were just a rahead like he supports Celtic now I happen to I happen to support <laughs> Celtic but but you were dismissed it was a reductive thing that you're on the edges I told you before that like I had a copy of On Fublucht when I was in school and I was ta- taken outside the door to ask is everything alright in home <laughs> so it was like this kind of again just total anarchy thing but like nobody that would have thought of themselves as balanced would have been talking about unity and that it was a great wrong, like a mm-hmm. historic wrong, like that partition was a historic wrong. Has that changed amongst young people? Because I don't really hang out with 19 and 20, 20 rows that much. Yeah, well, like, you know, in my circle, people will know me as the Shinner, you know, so, okay. um, the, you know, that that's... That, that's kind of what my life is centred around but the response I get from absolutely everyone when I talk to people about it is wouldn't it be great I can't wait for it to happen look we can't afford it but it'll be great anyway you right, know, so, same old stuff um, yeah. and, and then my fear is when, when they get a bit older and when financial concerns and all that are actually more important I suppose than they are to students would, would that and it is a myth of course but would that actually um, turn people away from the Asher it's great bit right. um, now at the same time you do hear that for a lot of people but I can't think of one person I know you, you know, let's say in the south, who could actually go into a polling station and vote no um, to Irish unity? When it comes to it, yeah, I, I, I think um, I, I hope that people will be convinced by the economic argument, the common sense argument, and all the rest of it. But I think when it comes to it, as you said, this feeling, this guilt that certainly haunts um, people in the south, whether they know it or not, and the idea—the same reason people voted for it in 1918—that um, Ireland should be an independent country and that the shenanigans in Westminster shouldn't have any bearing. On, uh, on how we run our affairs here I think that'll that'll uh, be yeah. the, the deciding factor on the day I agree with you but the one thing I would worry about is that the people in the south could vote no purely on an anti-Sinn Féin vote and that's why I think it, there's nothing really Sinn Féin can do about it in many ways but 
there are, as you know, many journalists and people in political life that are leading a charge of whatever Sinn Féin want, we want the opposite. Whatever, yeah. if this guy's a source, even if he's not, you know, there's journalists, and I won't be personal about it because we all know who they are. There's journalists that I feel have ceded their opportunity to be rational because yeah. their their hatred of Sinn Féin is so obvious that it, it, it's dripping through the article. So everything yeah. that they say then is kind of like, you couldn't really take it seriously because mm. it's, you know, when somebody's very resentful, their opinion on a, on a person like what he's been up to this day or that, that day or whatever it's not re- it's not worth really listening to because it's it's hatred talking like yeah. so I wonder if th- enough of those people do their job and then again I suppose look at the numbers of Sinn Féin like maybe maybe we don't have to worry too much but it could be a protest vote against the rise of Sinn Féin if people feel that it's a Sinn Féin thing and that's why yeah. I think it's great that there's all these other groups outside of Sinn Féin like Ireland's Future and all these other groups that it's not a Sinn Féin thing it's actually it's what it's going to become as a citizens assembly yeah and people have said this before that unity and I certainly believe this is not going to happen without Sinn Féin Sinn Féin is the driving force behind it but at the same time you know it's not going to happen with Sinn Féin alone um, because as you said would traditional Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael voters who believe in a united Ireland and all that but they see it uh, as as perhaps a way to ensure a Sinn Féin government for the next 20 years with the combined vote would that turn them off it so I do think but but at the same time I think the rise of Sinn Féin is um, sending shockwaves through Fianna Fáil I've seen this you know I'm from a rural area myself and Fianna Fáil people who I know do not identify at all with the Micheál Martin Mm. what I would see as a, a unionist uh, yeah. Taoiseach and a unionist leader of Fianna Fáil they don't identify with that I don't think he's going to last long um, and th- th- the next um, leadership election in Fianna Fáil will be between the let's say the traditional Fianna Fáil camp and the Micheál Martin camp but I think actually just on Micheál and not to personalise it but just an observation I think he personifies the thing that we're talking about where I think it, at his core, he probably is a United Ireland man. I think that his background would certainly indicate that a little bit. But that his evol- ever-evolving and ever-growing hatred of Sinn Féin has mm-hmm. clouded him. Now, he, he could actually find himself... It's almost like, you know, the way when you see people kind of like... You usually get like this effect with middle-class um, men wandering into their 50s who used to be left-leaning but then they do something or they say something and they themselves get cancelled you know like the kind of Van Morrison effect where like the man lived through the troubles and he never wrote any protest songs and he's got a protest album about Covid <laughs> it's like they wander into the arms of the far right because they're so disgusted with the new version of the thing that they think they are Yeah. so this is a bit of a leap now but I feel like you, you, you quite rightly said like he almost feels like a unionist Taoiseach and I feel a lot of that has to do with him showing I am anything other than this party here. You can, yeah. when, he, when he talks to Mary Lou, there's a, again a hatred oh my God. in his eyes that you can't, you couldn't deny. Like it's that exchange was, I suppose, three months ago or so, where she asked a very reasonable question mm. about housing, and she raised examples of of the rents people are paying and the li- conditions people are living in in Cork and Dublin and so on. And his response was just so off the walls. Mm. Um, It's, you know, you'd have to wonder. But then, at the same time, you know, Leo Varadkar, as I said, and Fine Gael in general, have really attached themselves to this issue. People like Neil Richmond and all that. But the vision they have for United Ireland, I fear that it's a vision of bringing us as close as possible to Britain. It's the same, they're they're wanting to join NATO, uh, the Commonwealth. of course there has to be compromises when it comes to unity um, around identity issues and including the unionists and all that but some of what they want to do um, I think I, I, th- I think betrays in a sense 
their hidden agenda. Well, yeah. it's always been their hidden agenda of having the closest possible link between ourselves and Britain because they can't fathom the idea of the, the Irish ruling themselves. You know? I think it's a valid point. I think it's a very valid point. But I think it'd be worth our while to just more will be revealed I yeah. think we should just kind of like for the moment the likes of Neil Richmond and who sound um, and a few others in Fianna Gael I think actually and it's not to disagree with you it's just to embellish your point is that I think that they see what way the tide is turning That's as well it, yeah. and I, I feel they 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 are licking their lips at the fact that Fianna Fáil again this is my own pet theory Michal Martin is so blinded by hatred he's missed the opportunity to get in on this yeah. thing as it's turning because you can feel it I mean we won't be getting too cocky, but like, there's a push for unity now that I I couldn't even imagine would be here years ago. Yeah. Um. And I feel Fine Gael, if if they're if you could give them credit for anything, it's that they're very very smart party when it comes to what way are things kind of going, yeah. like what way are people going, like Radcliffe's in on that straight away. What's the public opinion, and respond to it very quickly. I mean that that's good politics, like. Mm-hmm. And I feel they're in on it because they feel like this is an opportunity for them to present themselves as the kind of middle class. Uh, party of the south that's for unity yeah. like if you feel that you're going to get your hands dirty voting for Sinn Féin like why not vote for us yeah but um, then when the time comes at the end of the day it's going to be a yes campaign and a no campaign exactly. and all the nationalist parties will be on the yes side and uh, the, the unionist parties in the north will be on the no side you know so I, I don't think it'll be dominated by anyone you'll probably have neutral figures like Colin Harvey um, other yeah. kind of experts constitutional and economic experts who'll be who'll be driving it well why, if, if you had to speak now, you're mainly a, a young audience who's listening to this, why on earth should young people be interested in United Ireland when there's so many other issues that affect them in their day-to-day lives, like housing and the cost of uh, education and so on? What, what is it about United Ireland that's important? Well, I'd say, like, briefly, there's two, two things going on there. One, the fact that their lives are dominated by concerns about housing and economics it's still the right thing to do to vote for United Ireland to make those things improve. Like in all our, by like any econo- econ- economists reckoning, the likes of David Mac Williams, there's a couple of European uh, economists who've written papers on it as well. The long-term benefits of an all-Ireland state vastly outstrip the short-term costs. Um, that's a fact, like, you know what I mean? And like you said at the, t- at the top, the economic thing, I'm the same. When I talk to people in Cork, I did something in Cork not so long ago and I talked to people, they all say the same thing. Well, actually, occasionally people say, no, I wouldn't like it. But most of the time people say, I would like it, but we can't afford it. This is the myth that, if we can undo that myth, I think this is the key issue. And personally, I have no problem with that. Some people will be attracted to an emotional um, response to this issue. And like we were saying, this could be a referendum for young people to kind of go, at the foundation of this state there's so much wrong with the south of Ireland the treatment of people of uh, LGBTQ the treatment of women the Jerry Adams often says this there's already there was already partition in Ireland long before there was partition between the haves and the have nots that's still a problem unity offers an opportunity to undo those things but it also importantly it can give you a better opportunity economically. It can give you certainly a better opportunity in terms of health and housing. But importantly, you could be part of a movie, a move, excuse me, that undo that undoes the historic wrong of partition. And I think that's so exciting because the one good thing about we were talking about Twitter earlier, the one good thing about social media is I think it does help to break down those kind of myths and those kind of stereotyping and monstrifying that you get with like Sinn Féin, IRA, whatever those things are, 
the young people, like far from being ignorant of their history, are actually really on top of it. And that's why I think the traditional big two parties are scared because young people, they're just not buying it anymore. They're not buying the fact that the, the someone in Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael only seems to really talk about the North when it comes to acknowledging a historic um, bombing from the IRA. Young people are like, nah, I'm, I think I'm onto this thing. Like, I don't really believe that this guy is is really emotional about this thing that happened in the 80s. I feel it's more likely he's looking at the party that's associated with that group, which is absolutely wiping the floor with his party, and they're literally running out of ideas, so they're going back to the old chestnut. Yeah. I think another thing that'll appeal to lots of people, young and old, um, you know, who mightn't be particularly passionate either way about United Ireland is, I can't think of any other country in the world who has written into their constitution and their legal framework and all that, that through a simple vote, through a referendum, you can completely start afresh, a new state, a completely, you know, new beginning. Um, There's so much wrong with the the constitution here, a woman's place in the home and uh, all the rest of it. There's so much wrong with the northern state, um, where even basic rights, you know, like an Irish language act and all that, it's taken so long um, to, you know, the the government in the north had to stop to even get a promise uh, for, for an Irish language act. Whenever unionists um, have a disagreement with Sinn Féin or whatever, it stops progress. Um, Unionists at the moment are refusing to say whether they'll share share power with nationalists if they become the largest. There's so much wrong with the two states in Ireland. But through the unity referendum, that'll establish not a a 26 plus 6, you know, just continue as is, but it'll be a new state. Um, and everyone, whatever your interests are, if you're interested in climate change or some of the great social justice issues, it'll be up for everyone through a citizens' assembly or no matter what it is to shape that state. Um, you know, the, the, the English can't do that, the French can't do that, the Germans can't do that. They have to work in reform and so on. But we can start completely anew, taking what's best from what's here at the moment, um, and you know, such as the NHS in the north, for example, yeah. and changing it and developing it completely that's a great point and as you say like kind of a little bit like just kind of starting again and how exciting is that i mean that would totally appeal to a young person's perspective where there are no limits anything can be achieved i remember being that age where it's like there are no limits on what i can do there's no limits on what anyone can do in my country and i think that the last thing i'd say in that as well is just listening to there i was thinking to myself get up north as well like get get up north get visit there because you know, just to go back to the emotional thing for a moment, like if you meet people in Derry and Belfast and everywhere else and stuff that are, you know, they're more Irish than than <laughs> like the majority of Cork, like, you know, <laughs> they play Gaelic football, they speak the language, like in a way that I can only dream about. And it just makes no sense that you wouldn't do your little bit yeah. to get up off your arse and vote on the day of unity to, to, to allow these people to finally live uh, under a government that they recognise and that they respect and that you know uh, it's it's an aspiration for young and old up there like and I think that the the least we, we could do is to kind of just get involved in that that's, that's, it, that's yeah. it you know well we'll go into another bit of music now this is uh, from a slightly different band this is the Wolf Tones and I think what you were saying there about young people <laughs> not knowing their history I think our our grow for this kind of music um, you know it, it certainly speaks volumes so this is uh, The Men Behind the Wire by the Wolf Tones Armoured car 
cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man must stand behind the men behind the wire. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man must stand behind the men behind the wire. In the little streets of Belfast, in the dark of early morn, British soldiers came running, breaking little homes with scorn. Hear the sobs of crying children, dragging fathers from their bed. Watch the scene as helpless mothers watch the blood fall from their heads. Armored cars and tanks and guns came to take away our sons. But every man must stand behind the men behind the wire. the Wolfstone singing the men behind the wire um, now it's not just in Ireland where uh, where these issues of self-determination and of change and of freedom are, are, are so important and at the fore but across the world and one of the other areas that a lot of your clips um, and your activism has been based around is Palestine what is it about Palestine do you think that really motivates people and angers people and impassions people here in Ireland especially but also uh, across the world I, I think it's about the struggle, isn't it? You know, like uh, there's a um, there's a book recently there about the shared struggle between Palestinian hunger strikers and Irish hunger strikers, edited by Danny Morrison and I can't think of the other guy, unfortunately. But um, but there's a shared, and I mean, you only have to walk around Belfast or Derry to see the amount of Palestine flags. There's a shared understanding, but I think particularly between the the north, the northern Republican struggle and their struggle that there's something that transcends geography and, and, and time or whatever that they're connected in that way and I think that's important to move to move beyond your kind of evolutionary biases like for instance at the moment the whole world is united behind the Ukraine struggle which is wonderful right it feels like the whole world anyway and again that's that's my own western bias there now because it's mostly the west right 
which is wonderful. But, you know, you'll get like journalists. Um, I think I saw a clip of a journalist saying, you know, this is not Syria. Like, this is not Yemen. This is this is a proper white country. Like, you know, they look like us. They look like us. Exactly. Um, it's very powerful. I also wouldn't I wouldn't um, I wouldn't panic or I wouldn't be kind of losing the plot about that kind of idea, because Again, it's ba- it's based on that's how human beings have evolved. That you m- more prioritize you and your friends and your family, and then it exp- and as it goes further out, you've less empathy. But I think as we evolve as human beings, there's a kind of a challenge there to try and transcend that stuff and go beyond. And um, so, ed- educate yourself on Palestine if you're interested in it, and you know, look for the connections between Irish republicanism and Palestine. That's all there. But then, if you just kind of look at it it's kind of just like objectively wrong. Like what's going on is just objectively wrong. And then when you pull apart the pieces, you're like, how on earth could a country be allowed to treat the citizens of another territory like this? And then you understand the connection that Israel has to America, for instance. Um, So it started off as a kind of an academic thing almost because I'm just interested in geopolitics. But then as I started looking into it and actually making a couple of what I would consider at this stage you now friends from that area of the world and talking to people it's I just don't understand how you couldn't be motivated motivated by it and I do think it's interesting that you know and I probably and I tweeted something similar I think you said earlier as well and you're quite right is that it's possible to feel that two things are wrong or right at the same time it's possible to make two points at the same time and you can absolutely condemn what's going on in the Ukraine, but you can also think, wow, when is the world going to focus in on Palestine? Like, um, yeah, and that that stuff is going on even when there's not um, attacks in Gaza. You know, you know, you know yourself, like Palestine will make the news when there's a new series of atrocities and the official narrative. You get this on Twitter all the time as well. I detest Twitter in many ways, like, but I keep talking about it, so obviously I'm obsessed with it as well, I have a love-hate. But you get people saying, like, oh, no, it's not analogous because, you know, what happens in, in the, the Palestine-Israel conflict is that usually Hamas starts sending rockets, so then Israel has to defend itself. And that in itself, as you know, is just a faulty narrative that's kind of thrown out there, and it was also the same narrative that you'd, you'd have here where the troubles effectively start at the first IRA bomb not at what had gone on for the the generation beforehand yep Um, so it's just educating yourself I suppose to kind of find out what's really going on and if you find out what's really going on you might think I might be able to try and do something there so like I I have done nothing in the great scheme of things but whatever little bit of profile I have I would definitely be eager to keep raising Mm -hmm. that issue and if I can make a sketch or two along the way that because comedy is powerful as well particularly in that issue um that I wrote a sketch um, about the about the issue, I suppose, and we did a little fundraiser for it. And uh, it was interesting because at the time people were talking to me about what power satire can actually have on a practical level or is it just theoretical? Um, and on a practical level, there was a couple of quid raised to buy medical supplies um, in that part of the world. So that that's mm-hmm. straight away is like a, a tangible, practical utility of satire. Mm-hmm. So that was... That was that was interesting from from my point of view, but I'm just look. I just uh, I just care. Yeah, and one of the things is you know there's obviously an Irish empathy and a sympathy um, for, for Palestine and all that, but then when it comes to our government, um, Amnesty International said recently that what's happening in in Palestine is apartheid. Yeah, the exact same as South Africa. And when the government were asked whether they'd recognise that and support that description or not, they said it wouldn't be helpful. 
yeah. um, to do that when it comes to recognising the state of Palestine despite the doll voting for it they say it's now is not the time you yeah. know that, that old line so um, and as you say like international bodies have been condemning what Israel has been doing for I don't know how long so where when would that be enough you know yeah. so so in the case of Russia at the moment as well and again I want to preface what I'm saying by saying that it what's going on is horrendous uh, completely way beyond anything that you could really defend but Ireland and every everyone in the West is so unanimously behind Ukraine because Russia is such a convenient enemy that we can all agree on you know because it's always been portrayed as the as the octopus or and yet like you won't get anything like consensus on condemning Israel because Israel is just as a state is just so well connected to the powers in the west and that's that's the that's the bottom line so I just hope that that Palestine will have its day somehow but someday but um I doubt it because they're brown that's it's very stark yeah I didn't want to end on, <laughs> on a negative <laughs> note but look okay to be more positive about it I suppose I think like you have to dig a little bit deeper when the guy who's in trouble doesn't look like your mom that that's that's what it comes down to yeah it's, it's a fantastic way of looking at it I think I think the, the similar kind of despair that people had um, I have at the moment about Palestine was shared before about South Africa exactly uh, but it was a, a worldwide movement started in Ireland when you say exactly. you know, through the Dunstores workers yeah. that, that changed that so hopefully now um, whether it's the BDS movement or any Palestinian solidarity movements or even sympathetic governments dare I say <laughs> elected across the western world um, that the, the tide might change um, for or Palestine who, or who knows an, Israel, an Israeli government that's truly left leaning that might just want to do the right thing like that's another hope maybe um, look time is against us I'm oh, afraid wow. <laughs> yeah. that was a pleasure man thank you so much it was and um, usually this is Radio in the Public though, as I said and usually we do these shows myself and James from the uh, Ogre Quishta here together uh, James couldn't make it today but he sent in a text that I'll read out he said really enjoying the show in ball sports and Mallow the punters are taking second preference for the next hour um, really <laughs> gutted to be missing out as I was caught for work Tyg is really inspiring opening up about his mental health as and he has done great work in fundraising for charity especially for Elida refugee camp last year during lockdown and that's from James oh, nice and James so um, Tyg Gramila for coming in and do keep up the good work because uh, it's, it's certainly you know politics can feel very kind of I suppose busy a lot of the time it can feel very tense and people are always angry at one another but you're you certainly uh, lightened that tension so uh, fair play for that for so uh, we'll be back next week we're going to be joined next week by um, the one and only Dr. Umar Al-Khadri who's the leader of the Islamic faith here in Ireland and we're going to be talking about all things uh, to do with uh, refugee crisis to do with United Ireland to do with how Muslims are fitting in um, to Ireland and the place they'll have in the new Ireland um, and his thoughts on all of that so that's uh, next Tuesday on Vorch Cooing Akadishin Gramila Mahagov Galer <laughs>